I want to be going into another sermon this morning in a scattered series as uh, we've done called The Gospel According to... Dot, dot, dot. And what we've been doing, I've uh, preached five of these, or one, two, three, four, this will be the fifth one, is we've been diving into the Old Testament to, to, to mine out of the Scriptures something to do with the Gospel of Jesus Christ, something to do with the redemptive work of God particularly in the Old Testament. And uh, we've done ones, I've done one on the Exodus, done one on Jonah, done one on Ruth. We, we, we dove into the book of Kings and looked at Naaman. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Judges. And, and, and our, our, our goal here this morning, brethren, is, is for you to read the Scriptures as a Christian. For you to read the Bible in light of the person and work of Christ. And... I've talked with some of you. Uh, you guys have really enjoyed these. I, I, I've enjoyed preaching these and preparing these. And brethren, I want us this morning to have a deeper love for Christ. To look at Him as the exalted one. To look at Him as the King of kings who has come into the world to save it and to restore it and to fix the brokenness due to sin. Um, now, as I... Or before we even get started here, I got to give us just a little bit of background to Judges, because I don't want to give a raise of hands. Who's read Judges? Who hasn't read Judges? Maybe you've read it. Maybe it's been a while. Uh, hopefully, uh, after today's sermon, you'll be encouraged to go back and read this book of the Old Testament and uh, to read it in light of Christ. And uh, Judges is the seventh book of your Bible, and it comes in the chronology of remember God saves His people in Exodus. Uh, God brings them through the wilderness in the book of Numbers. In Deuteronomy, right, God uh, gives and Moses prepares the people to live as God's own in the promised land. And then you get Joshua. Joshua's all about the conquest of the land. God brings the people to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They drive out uh, the, 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 the nations there. God gives them the land. And then we come to the book of Judges. Now, we would think that we would find Israel here enjoying rest in God's land as God's people, with God dwelling in the midst of them in the tabernacle and all these good things, but we don't see that. We don't see them enjoying God in this new Eden, this, this, this land flowing with milk and honey. They're not enjoying Yahweh, their God. They're not worshiping their Redeemer. In fact, brethren, it's quite the opposite. It is quite the opposite. They have forsaken and abandoned Yahweh, and they begin to worship idols. And if you've never read the book of Judges and you read it, there are such wicked things going on in this book, it would make you blush. And it would make you say, what in the world is going on? What is happening? How could this be? And I want to draw us some hope out of these passages here. Now, if I would summarize here, what is the Gospel according to Judges? Well, I would say this. I would say the Gospel according to Judges is from the depths of darkness and despair, God in His mercy and in His grace is moved with compassion and relentlessly pursues His people to save them through the hand of a conquering Messiah or a judge. That's what Judges is all about here. God raising up these deliverers, these conquerors, these messiahs, these anointed ones to deliver His people out of the depths of darkness and despair. And I get that primarily uh, from the section that we read in Judges chapter 2. And so I want to kind of flesh this out for us a little bit this morning. What, what is the Gospel in Judges? Well, I want to first just do a quick introduction to what's going on to set us up here uh, for later on in the book. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at uh, Samson. I want to look at Samson this morning. And I just want to forewarn you now that there is, there, there, there is no way I could possibly talk about everything to do in Samson's life. 
I, I have to skip a lot of things, but I'm trying to drive home a certain theme here to, 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 to help you to draw some encouragement and, and, and to show us some truths of the gospel from the life of Samson. Now, I can't show you everything. There's four chapters on the man's life, uh, Judges 13 all the way, 13, 14, 15, 16. When he dies, uh, Aaron read his, his, his death there, and I can't possibly show you everything, but I want to... Uh, show you some things here about Samson. Now, the book of Judges starts off well. This is important. We read in verse 1, Israel inquires of Yahweh, who shall go up first against the Canaanites and fight for us? And God says, send out Judah. So the tribe of Judah goes out, and we see that in verse 4, and they have a success. They, they, they are driving out the Canaanites. And then after that, brethren, it's a slow decline. And if you see this in Judges chapter 1, we get this constant refrain here. Starting in verse number 21, after Judah goes out and fights well, we see in Judges 1.21, but the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out. Verse 29, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out. Naphtali, verse 33, did not drive out. And it gets worse here. You go to verse 34, and it says that the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country. So not only did the tribe of Dan not drive out the inhabitants, they themselves are getting driven out of the land back into the hill country. A slow decline here. They're being defeated. And it beckons a question for us, why is that happening? What's going on? And chapter 2 tells us in the first five verses here is that Israel did not obey Yahweh. They did not walk in obedience to Him. They did not destroy the altars of these pagan and wicked gods. They did not, uh, or, or, or they did make ungodly alliances with them. And Yahweh said, don't do that. And so now Yahweh is not giving them victory over their enemies. They're being driven out. They're compromising. They've sinned. And for us, brethren, the, right away here, the point is clear. If you and I and God's people worship Yahweh, He will give you and us strength in our battle against wicked and against evil. But if we do not worship Yahweh, if we abandon Him and serve other gods, we will be defeated and powerless. So right away for us, we've got to recognize that and understand that. When we as a church are worshiping the living God, He will strengthen us in our pursuit to extend His kingdom. The same truths are applied today. So if I were to summarize this whole book, we just take a big uh, 30,000 foot view here of Judges. It is verses 6-19, to 19, and that's why I wanted to read that. And this is how the cycle goes. You guys maybe know about this, this cycle of sin here. Another generation rises up who did not know Yahweh. They did not remember Him. And we read in verse 11 of chapter 2 that they do evil, they abandon Yahweh. They serve the Baals. They bow down to the Baals. And then Yahweh gives them over into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of these plunderers. And then these people are, are they're in terrible distress. They're being afflicted. They're oppressed. Then they cry out to Yahweh. And Yahweh, verse 16, He raises up a judge. He raises up a Savior. He raises up a deliverer to deliver His people out of their distress. And these judges were, were, were those that were empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God in the book of Judges plays a vital role. He comes in and empowers men for their work. And brethren, we are so dependent upon the Spirit of God in all that we do. In everything that we do, we are dependent upon the Spirit to empower the church for her mission. And Yahweh is with the judge. And He, and he's, and he, and he comes with the judge. And yet, we read in verse 17, yet... Israel did not listen to the judge, and instead they whored after other gods and bowed down to them as soon as that judge died. The judge would come and deliver the people, conquer the enemies of Yahweh, but yet the people whored after other gods and went after them and bowed down to them over and over and over again. 
And yet we read in verse 18 that Yahweh was moved with pity. Moved with pity and compassion toward His people. And He sends another judge to save them and deliver them. Brethren, we got to see right here. Right here. The pure and undefiled grace of God. Right away. God is a God of grace and mercy and compassion. He comes for His people. And He comes to save. And He comes to save them in mighty ways. But the question beckons for us. As, this, as you read Judges, this happens over and over and over again. And the question beckons for us this morning. Can Yahweh not raise someone up who would come and finally deliver God's people once and for all? I mean, so, so that there's no more going back into idolatry. I mean, will, will this bondage to sin, these cycles of sin, just continue forever? The question has to be beckoned. Where's the Savior who would come and put an end to all of this? Where's the one who would come and cause God's people to drop their practices and their stubborn ways and cause them to walk in righteousness? Because they're not doing that. And you see it right there at the end of verse 19. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And they went right back into it like a dog returning to its vomit. Where is the man that God's going to raise up to put an end to this? Where is he? Where is this, is, is this conquering Savior who's going to come and deliver God's people once and for all? No more. No going back. No more. We'll have to wait and see. Where's the one, brethren, who's going to come and break the chains of sin? Where's the one who's going to come and crush the enemy? Where's the one who's going to come and bring the people out of darkness? Where is he? Where's the one who's going to set the captives free? When you read Judges, that question should be longing in your own heart. Where is the man that God's going to raise up to deliver His people? So there's the cycle. There's the pattern. That sets us up here now for what we have to come. And from the depths of darkness and despair, brethren, I want you to see that. From the depths of darkness and despair, God comes and saves His people. He brings salvation. And I want to look at this morning one of these saviors, one of these judges, one of these men that are clothed in the Spirit of God, Samson. So I want you to turn with your Bibles here to uh, Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. We're going to look at a few things here first. We're going to look at Israel's spiritual condition. Then we're going to look at Samson's life. We're going to look at Samson's fall. And then we're going to look at Samson's death. So I want to talk first about Israel's spiritual condition. I want to read the first five verses here. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. So Yahweh gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There, there's that pattern again. There is a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite of God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So right away, here we are again. The start of another cycle. Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord, and Yahweh delivers them into the hands of their enemies. And then, verse 2, we get the story of Samson's birth. Now, I want you to stop for a second. I want you to notice something here. Something's missing here. Something is missing. In every other cycle of this, when God's people do evil, and God uh, delivers them into the hands of their oppressors, their enemies, 
They cry out to Yahweh for deliverance. We see it in chapter 3, verse 9. You don't need to turn here, but I'm just going to read these. But, when the people of Is- but then the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh raised up for them a deliverer. Chapter 4, verse 3. Then the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh for help. Chapter 6, verse 6. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to Yahweh. Then chapter 10, verse 10. Same thing. And the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh, saying, We have sinned and uh, we have sinned against you because we've forsaken our God and served the Baals. Brethren, what's missing right here? What's missing? God's people are not calling out for God to come and help them. And right away here, there's no crying out. And you need to see here the effects of sin. The effects of sin upon the soul of a man. Brethren, sin calluses the heart. We see it right here. It calluses the heart. It hardens and it blinds the the heart to the condition, the, the reality to our condition, the reality to our great need. The reality of, 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 of we, need the, the, we need the Lord God and we can't see it, brethren. Sin comes in and makes you comfortable with compromise. These people are doing evil in the sight of Yahweh and they're comfortable about it. And the Philistines come and oppress the people and they're comfortable. They're comfortable. There's no desire to be freed. Israel was comfortable under the oppression of the Philistines. So much so that they later on, we're not going to look at this, but I'm just going to tell you, they later on betray Samson, their own Savior, into the hand of their enemies, the Philistines. They betray him. That sound familiar to you? Got a New Testament story that sounds familiar to you? Israel handing over their Savior into the hand of the enemy? That's what sin does. These people are unwilling to repent as all people are who are dead in sin, living in the world, in bondage to Satan and the enemy. Unwilling to repent. It's a very dark time, brethren, in a book that's dark already. Very dark time. Israel is asleep. They're asleep spiritually. They're blinded to the reality of their own condition. This is exactly a picture of what Paul says of unbelievers in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. He says that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Here they are right here, Judges 13. Due to their hardness of heart, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is how all people are. This is how you were and how I was before we came to Christ. Calloused toward God. Darkened in our understanding. Alienated from the life of God. Walking around in the dark with hard hearts. And you know what? We see this all the time on the streets, do we not? We see it, brethren. It ought to break our hearts. People are so dead. They're so lost. They're in darkness. And they're so unwilling to repent. So unwilling to repent. And what Israel needs, brethren, is what all people need. Those who are dead in sin and who sit upon the gloomy hills of darkness. They need... Uh, uh, or or they're they're, they're sitting in darkness, brother, with no hope and without God in the world. They all need the same thing. We all needed the same thing. We needed God to come in and do something. We needed God to come in and invade. We needed God to come in and shine the light of Christ in the darkness. That's what they need. That's what we needed before we came to Christ. We needed the light to come and burst forth and to shine upon us as they do here. We need, and what they need is the same thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. God who said, let light shine out of darkness to shine in their hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what all people need, brethren. God spoke light in the midst of darkness. 
and God shone light into your hearts. And He shined the light of Christ into your soul and brought you to Himself. That's what we pray for when we pray that God would send the Gospel. That He would bring them out of darkness and into the marvelous light of His Son who is the light of the world. He's come in. The light of the world has come into who's come to save sinners. That's what He did. That's who He is. That's what they need. That's what all people need. They need the dawning of the new day. And I know I, I, I mentioned this in my last sermon. And I'm going to mention it again. I'm going to keep pounding it into our heads, brethren. They need the dawning of a new day. They need the sun of righteousness to shine and to bring healing and restoration and life and salvation as we read there in Malachi chapter 4. They need God to come and do something. They need deliverance. They need victory. They need God to come in and invade purely of His grace and mercy because no one deserves it. No one deserves that. You didn't deserve that. You weren't better than anybody else. I wasn't better than anybody else. No one deserves that, brethren. We are so dependent upon the grace of God. And you know what? He will come and do it. And He comes and does it and is doing it over and over and over again. We have a God who is pleased to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. He came into the world to save sinners. God is pleased to shine light in the darkness, brethren. That's what He came to do. They need this light to come shine upon them. They need someone who's going to be like the one that Deborah prays for back in Judges chapter 5, verse 31. One who is like the sun as he rises in his might. That's who they need. They need someone who's going to be like the sun as it says, S-U-N, like it says in Psalm chapter 19, like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man who runs his course with joy. That's who they need. That's who they need. And that's exactly who God brings them. Now let me ask you a question. I want you to take a wild guess here. Can anyone tell me what Samson's name means? Take a wild guess. Sun. The sun. Sun-like. Child of the sun. That's what Samson's name means. So here's this dark time in Israel. And God raises up the sun of a new day to come and deliver God's people. Oh, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful picture here. Yahweh raises up a Savior born of a barren womb. You see that right in chapter, or chapter 13, verse 2, and his wife was barren and had no children. And we can do a whole sermon on that. Brother, when you're reading your Bible in your Old Testament... And you hear that someone's barren, you ought to, your ears ought to perk up, your, your eyes ought to get all big, and you ought to sit up in your sh- straight in your chair and, and, whoa, wake up a minute. Barren womb. A barren womb. God works through barren wombs all over the Bible. And here he is, Samson, born of a barren womb. God raises up a Savior, born of a barren woman, born a Nazarite from birth, one who is completely set apart for the purposes of God, one who the Spirit of God comes upon and begins to stir him up at the beginning of his ministry. And I hope that sounds familiar. And God is bursting forth in the midst of darkness, and He's doing it through Samson. Now, what I want to do is I want to just give you one episode, and there's, there's a lot going on in these chapters, but you know, I was sitting yesterday morning, this is, this is just an aside, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, what do I leave out? What do I bring into this? There's so much. Should I preach for two hours? I mean, they could handle it. Uh, maybe not. Okay, and um, you know, I just want to look at one episode here and uh, try to cause you to see some things here in the life of Samson. Samson, brethren, he's a mighty man. You know that about Samson. He's a man who comes in and he does things and you're like, what, what is with this man? This brute strength when Yahweh comes upon him in the Spirit of God and he just does all kinds of, of, of crazy things. What's going on? Well, Samson's from the tribe of Dan. We read that in, in, in verse 2 here. 
He's a Danite. Now, if you're reading this story, and if you kind of paid attention to what I said earlier, you should, you should hear that he's a Danite, and you, you should go, oh, please, no, not, not the tribe of Dan, not the Danites. The Danites were back in chapter 1, and they got smoked, right? I mean, the, 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 they, they went down, and the Amorites drove them back, and they were like a dog with his tail between its legs running away from the Amorites. Not the tribe of Dan, anyone but Dan. But Samson's a Danite. And you know what's said about the tribe of Dan? I'll give you two things here. Genesis 49, remember when Jacob blesses all his sons? That's what he says of Dan. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. That's a positive picture of the tribe of Dan. Though they're small, they'd be potent. They would gain victory. That's the picture like a little snake biting at the heels of a gigantic horse, causing it to jump in the air and throw its rider off its back. I mean, you ever seen horses? They're huge. Little potent Dan, like a, like a snake in the path. This is a positive picture. Though he's small, he'd be potent. We read also in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 22, that Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. So here's the picture. This picture of a lion leaping forth upon its prey. Vicious. Though he's small, he'd be potent. And I like that. You know, Dan was a small tribe. But we ask the question, where, where is that lion-like potency? Where, 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 where is that? It's a far cry in the book of Judges, brethren. The Danites aren't doing that. They're getting, they're getting smoked. It's a far cry, but here's Samson. Samson is this Danite. He is like a mighty lion-like judge and savior, and he's potent. He's potent. And you read a story of him, and he is, 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 is a man clothed with supernatural strength from the Spirit of God to conquer enemies. And brethren, the Spirit clothes and empowers Samson more than any other judge in Judges. You need to know that. The Spirit of God comes upon Gideon. The Spirit of God comes upon these other men. But most, there's, there's the most uh, events of the Spirit of God coming upon Samson. He's a man endowed with the Spirit of God to conquer enemies. And brethren, again, I just, we're, we're, we're so dependent upon the Spirit in all that we do. Everything. Now I want to just look at just one episode with him. I want you to go to chapter 14 in light of all this now. Samson, this mighty lion-like Danite clothed with the Spirit. I want to read verses 14, verses 5 and 6. It says, And Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him. And although he... He had nothing in his hand. He tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Why is that in your Bible? <laughs> That's kind of strange, <laughs> right? You're reading through your Bible, and here comes Samson, and some lion comes charging after him, and then he rips it apart, and then the story just moves on. Now, what, why is this in your Bible? You know, this sounds a whole lot like chapter 15, verse 14. I'll flip over there. It says that, when he, Samson, came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax, as his hand, or, or as it, that as he caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. So here's the picture, is that you have this lion coming down and roaring against Samson, and Samson rips apart this lion, and then you got the Philistines, and they're coming down, and they're roaring against Samson, they're shouting against him, the Spirit of God rushes upon him, and he destroys all of them. What is happening here? Now let me ask you a question. You think of in your Bible... Those who conquered and fought beasts, particularly lions. Who do you think of? Well, you think of David, right? Remember David? David fought a lion. 
Remember the lion used to come and, and, and David says if the lion ever stole one of the lambs out of the flock, David would grab it by its beard and kill it and slay the lion. And then what does David go on and do? Well, he goes and slays a greater lion, Goliath, the Philistine giant, and crushes him and cuts his head off. You think of David or uh, Daniel, right? Daniel, he's in a lion's den. And what happens with Daniel in the lion's den? Oh, he's, he, he conquers and has victory over these lions. They don't tear him to pieces. They don't eat him at all. Why? Because he trusted and worshipped Yahweh. Because he trusted and worshipped Yahweh, he was delivered from the mouth of a lion. He conquered them, so to speak. As it says in Hebrews 11, he stopped the mouth of lions. And then you get later on in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, very interesting text here, the Son of Man who's Christ, and He comes and He takes away dominion from all these beasts who are pictures of the nations, lions and, and scary bears and weird beast creatures. And Jesus comes and conquers all of them and destroys all these beasts who are representative pictures of the nations and takes away their dominion. And He sets up His kingdom. And His kingdom will be established forever. And these beasts are conquered permanently. What's going on here? Brother, we got a picture here of what Sam is going to do to the Philistines. He takes a lion, and, and Samson, the greater lion, grabs a lesser lion, crushes him. It's a picture of what He's going to do for the Philistines, for God's people, and conquer them and deliver God's people from the jaws of this greater lion, the Philistine. And this points us to, of course, the lion. The lion from the tribe of Judah. Who we read in Revelation 5.5, or the angel tells John, weep no more. Weep no more. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of Jesse, the root of David, has come and he has conquered. We get a picture here of our Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, coming and conquering your and my enemy, the greatest enemy, and delivering God's people from the jaws of a more and the most fierce lion. Remember that lion who prowls around? Satan, seeking to devour people, brethren. God comes and conquers him and crushes his head to deliver us. That lion, the Lord Jesus Christ, has conquered. And Samson has all these kinds of victories. All these examples of him conquering Philistines. All these examples throughout here of him clothed in the Spirit of God. This man is said to be the ravager of our country, as the Philistines say. Samson was a mighty man, a mighty deliverer, a mighty instrument in the hand of God. But oh brethren, he falls. He falls and he falls hard. This mighty lion falls into grievous sin. And you know what, brother? I'm going to tell you right now, your Bible goes to great lengths to stain the name of every man in this Bible except one. There is only one hero in this story. There's only one hero in this book. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Even with David. David was a man after God's own heart. This beast slayer. And he falls into grievous sin. Grievous sin. There's only one hero in this book. And brethren, for, for, for us as we read Samson's life, as strong as he was, as mighty as he was, he's weak and frail. And you and I are weak and frail. You know what the Proverbs say? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And Samson fell, brethren, and we learn that Samson is, in the end, no different than unfaithful Israel. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. Here's a man who's supposed to be consecrated unto Yahweh to be a Savior of Israel, to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And we see him compromise and sin grievously. He goes into a prostitute. And right here, brethren, we see a picture here. Samson goes whoring after other women just like Israel went whoring after other gods back in chapter 2. 
terrible picture. A terrible picture. Compromise. Walking in sin. Unfaithful. And brethren, there, there, there are consequences to sin. There are effects that sin has upon your life. I want, to, I want you to see this here. I want to read the, the, the next couple of verses here. He goes into this prostitute, compromises, sins. And the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us lie, let us wait till light of, of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay until midnight. And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that's in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Zorek whose name was Delilah. Now stop and wait a second here. Just wait a second here. I want you to see this. Samson comes down into this place and he removes the gate of the city, puts it upon his shoulder, and, mar and marches it up a hill near Hebron. Huh? And then right after that, he goes and loves another woman, Delilah. I want to ask you a question here. If you remove the gate of a city, what is, what, where does that leave the city? Where does that leave the city? Open. Yes, open. Exposed. Right? Ripe to be conquered. <laughs> the, 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 the gates of a city were, were, were protection, right? And here's Samson. He removes the gate of the city carries it to the top of the hill, two posts, all of it on his shoulders, the supernatural strength from the Lord. But you know what you don't hear of? You don't hear of any attack. You don't hear of any conquest. You don't hear of Samson or Israel marching in to conquer their enemies. You don't hear of it. No record of it. And brethren, listen, you mark it down right now. Sin will put you to sleep in the cause of Christ. Sin will put you to sleep in the fight against wickedness. Sin will put you to sleep. When you walk in compromised sin, it makes you not want to go and fight God's battles. And here's Samson, walking in compromised sin. The city's wide open, ripe to be taken over. And yet he goes out and finds himself another girl doesn't want to fight, doesn't want to go fight God's battles, doesn't want to go conquer God's enemies and the people's enemies. He goes for more sin. That's what sin does, brethren. Kills your zeal. Kills your, kills your, your desire to walk in obedience. It kills your desire, your desire to serve the Lord. And for Samson, it was this sexual immorality. But brethren, the same is true for us. We walk in the sin of unbelief. You know what you're not going to go do? Go fight God's battles. You're walking in sin of lack of trusting God. The sin of loving money. Sin of bitterness. Looking at porn or burning with lust. or Whatever it may be, brethren. You're not going to want to go fight God's battles. Ladies, you're not going to want to go fight God's battles when you're walking in bitterness towards your husband or whatever it may be for you. And you know what? You know what Jesus said? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You know why that is? Because Jesus removed them. <laughs> he comes and, he, and, and as Samson does here, he takes the bars of the city of the kingdom of darkness. He takes them, he lifts them up, throws them on his shoulder, casts them out into the midst of the sea, brethren. And now the kingdom of Satan is wide open for the church to go in and plunder it. To go in and plunder it. To bring souls out who are captive to Satan. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now go out and make disciples of all nations. Go out and preach this gospel. You go out and you get them. Satan has been bound so he cannot deceive the nations any longer. 
The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So we must go out. (laughs) We must be a people who go and who look for more opportunities to go and to preach this Christ. But what does sin do? It causes you not to want to go do that. And this is a constant battle in the heart, is it not? Do we, do we not wrestle with this constantly in our inner being? We most certainly do. It's a constant fight, brethren. It's a constant battle. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Oh, brethren, as we put sin to death and we keep short accounts with God, it'll stir the zeal. But if we walk in sin, it'll kill it. It'll kill it. Compromise makes us not want to go fight God's battles. And you know what? Samson's compromise brought him back underneath the afflictions of Egypt. Brought him back underneath the affliction. This is what the Philistines wanted to do. They wanted to come in and they and they and I can't, I'm not even gonna talk about Delilah that much at all, like ever. But they hire Delilah. And they pay her a lot of money. 5,500 pieces of silver. 1,100 pieces of silver for each lord of the Philistines. There's five of them. 5,500. That's a lot of money. And they hired Delilah to go and betray Samson into their hand. That ought to make you think too about another account in the New Testament about that. But you know what? They want to come in and look at verse 5. They... Here's Delilah, verse 5 in chapter 16. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may empower or overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. That's the same word when Israel was underneath the affliction and the oppression of the Egyptians back in Exodus chapter 1. Same word. Samson, to come underneath the afflictions to serve a harsh master. It's the same word again in, in, in verse 6 that, that one could subdue you, afflict you. And it's the same word in, or in verse 19 that Delilah shaves off his head and she began to torment him. It's afflict him. Same word. Here's Samson coming underneath the affliction of the Philistines coming underneath the affliction. You want to go worship false gods? You want to go play around with the other women of the nations? You'll be treated like an unbeliever and come back underneath these afflictions. That's the the message there, brethren. And here's here's Samson, afflicted. And he's got to learn here that sin's a hard life. Sin is a hard life. And parents, we teach this to our children. Sin's a hard life, son. Sin's a hard life, daughter. And this is it for Samson as well. His sin leads to serving a harsh master. Look at what it says in verse 19 here. This is Delilah. She made him sleep on her knees. Remember, she was... I said I was going to talk about this, but now I kind of have to. Remember, remember Delilah's going to Samson over and over again trying to find out where his great strength lies? And we know it lies in the Spirit of God. But the symbol of that is his long hair. He has a Nazarite vow. He's not supposed to cut his hair. It's a symbol of his consecration under the Lord, his glory. The long hair is the glory. Okay? And if it gets cut off, he'll lose his strength. The Spirit will depart from him. Okay? And she's nagging him and nagging him and nagging him about it. And he finally tells her. He finally compromises because he's walking in compromised sin all over this chapter. And then we read in verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and said, and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that Yahweh had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. That is a very sad statement in our Bibles. 
Samson presuming upon the grace of God, walking in open sin, and says, ah, no worries, I'll go out and shake myself free as at other times. And he did not know Yahweh left him. What a sad sentence. It's terrible. It's terrible. And instead of conquering his enemies, he's the one being conquered. They gouge out his eyes and put him grinding at the mill. He's grinding grain at the mill. That's what you do at the mill. You grind the grain. He's come underneath the bondage of this Philistine god, Dagon, who's the god of grain. It's Dagon's temple. And he's serving Dagon. You want to act like a Canaanite? You get treated like a Canaanite. And Samson's underneath bondage and affliction here. And you've got to ask ourselves, well, what's he going to do? His eyes are gouged out. This great, mighty warrior and judge is brought very low here. Very low. Humiliated here. And then you read verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, did, did any of you not know that? If you shave your head, the hair won't grow back? Yeah, the hair grows back. Yeah, we know that. Why is that in our Bibles? Why is God telling us that? You shave your head, it grows back. Yeah, okay, what's your point here? Right? I mean, I mean, what, why, why is this in here? Brethren, this is, his, this is Samson being restored back to his strength. This is Samson as a man who has sought the Lord in repentance. He's a man who has turned from his sin and is crying out to God in the midst of his humiliation, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of him being low. He's crying out to God just like Israel would cry out to God in the midst of their oppression. And here's the Lord. And He's growing His hair back after it had been shaved, which was a sign and a symbol of His strength, of the Spirit of God coming and empowering Him. And listen... The message for us is clear here. Brethren, no matter how grievous your sin is, no matter how low you have been brought, no matter how heinous, whatever you've done, brethren, if you will but repent, humble yourself, and seek the Lord, He will forgive you and He will restore you. He will. God is that gracious. He's that good. That's what, remember, that's what Psalm 51 is all about. There's David, right? Taking another man's wife, committing murder, trying to cover things up. God calls him out, and he pens Psalm 51. And he says in there that a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise, O God. And he says in there to restore to me the joy of my salvation. Brethren, God is this gracious. He is this merciful. Like it says in Isaiah 55, if you will seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near, He will forgive. He will abundantly pardon. And here's Samson. Though he's sinned grievously, he's being restored back in fellowship with the Lord. And you know what, brethren? This kind of forgiveness is an offense to unbelievers. And you know, you talk to people about this on the streets. This is offensive to people. But you know what? For those who are being saved and those who are God's children, this is such great joy. This is such great joy that we have a God and if we will but repent and seek His face, He will forgive and He will restore. So there's Samson. Blinded. In prison. Grinding at the mill. He's in a low place, brethren. And I want to look now at this last section that Aaron read for us, verse 23. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 16. It's all about his death here. Samson's death brings glory to God. I was talking with Nick about this a little bit on Wednesday. Remember what uh, Jesus says to Peter at the end of John's Gospel? Jesus tells Peter that someone else will dress him and carry him where he ought not want to be carried and spread out his hands and he, he's going to die by crucifixion essentially. And then you know what John says 
in John chapter 21, verse 19, John adds this. He says, Jesus said this to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. It's an interesting statement. There is a death that brings glory to God. And we have an example right here with Samson. Now we see that uh, Samson dies. It's a death that glorifies God. We'll get to it in a second here. It crowned and capped his life and put a stamp of God's approval on it. Though this man fell and stumbled, God restored him and blessed him and answered his prayers. And we see, first of all, this apparent victory of Dagon. Look what it says in verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And the people saw him and they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. So here it is, brethren. The Philistines, and they're giving glory to Dagon, this Philistine god. Great feast to him. Worshiping him, praising him. Here's Samson, Yahweh's judge, Yahweh's man, the man who was clothed in the Spirit of God, the Savior of God's people. He's been conquered. The people offer this great sacrifice and celebration to Dagon. And they bring Samson out to entertain him. Now what in the world's going on here? Well, you look up this word. It's an interesting word here. To entertain him. To entertain them. They brought Samson out to mock at him. They brought Samson out to scorn at him, to laugh at him, to deride him, to scoff at him. This is the same word back in Psalm 2. Remember what it says there? That Yahweh sits in the heavens and he laughs at the nations who, who, who think that, that they're going to rebel against him and against his anointed. Like, are you kidding me? And Yahweh sits in the heavens and he laughs. He mocks them. Like, give me a break. The same word here. Here we have the enemies of God mocking at and scorning and deriding Israel's Savior. And He's blinded. And He's being humiliated. And He's brought out here and they're playing sport with Him. Where is your strength now, Samson? You can imagine this. There's 3,000 plus people, men and women in this big old temple. There's Samson down on the, on the floor. They're up on the second story there. 3,000, maybe more, scoffing at him. Ah, Samson, there he is. Where's your strength now, Samson? Let's see you save yourself out of this one. Some mighty man you are. We see it, brethren, right here. Here's Samson, and he's stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And they bring him out to play sport with him, to mock him. And you know what? They did the same thing to our Lord Jesus Christ. They did the same thing to Him. I want to read this to you in Matthew chapter 27. You can turn there if you want. They did the same thing to Christ. Starting in verse 27. Matthew chapter 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. There's the picture. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe, put on his own clothes, let him out to be crucified. Here are the enemies of God playing sport with the Messiah. You know what Luke says in his Gospel on this account? That they blindfold Jesus. So there's your picture. Samson blinded. Jesus blindfolded. Brought it brought out before all these wicked people being mocked and ridiculed and laughed at and spit upon and slapped in the face. Prophesy! Who hit you, Christ? 
There's the Lord Jesus taking on shame for you and I. There's the Lord Jesus Christ being humiliated for you and I. There's the Lord Jesus Christ suffering the shame that you and I deserve. And we see a picture of it right here with Samson. And we get Samson's final plea here. One last plea. He turns to God in prayer after being made a public spectacle. And he says, O Yahweh God, O Master Yahweh, remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. That's verse number 28. And there goes Samson. One final plea to Yahweh. Strengthen me, O Lord, this one last time. And Yahweh was pleased to answer his prayer. Samson did not revile, he turned reviling for reviling, but he entrusted himself in the hands of him who judges justly. He calls upon Yahweh in prayer one final breath. And right when the wicked say, Aha, this is it. Right when the wicked think they've got it, they, they got it in the bag. Right when the wicked think, this is it. We finally conquered. Oh, how the tides turn. Quickly. Quickly. Samson, who's on these two pillars of the house of Dagon, one last final burst of strength from, from the Lord God, pushes down the pillars, and the entire house of Dagon falls. And Samson brought down Dagon's house and all these Philistine minions. And in Samson's death, he had his greatest victory. In the death of Samson, he had his greatest victory. And brethren, so it is with the glory of Christ. As great as Samson was, he failed. He failed, brethren. His name is stained with sin. And you know what? Israel wasn't fixed. They weren't fixed. Dagon's house is crumbled. These Philistine lords are dead. Israel's not fixed. Far from it. Far from it. And it beckons the question, where is the judge who would come and deliver God's people once and for all? Where is the Savior who would come into the world and crush the, the, the head of the serpent once and for all? And brethren, we have it in the greater Samson, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here He is. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Judge. The Savior of the world. He was faithful. Jesus knew no sin and nor was any deceit found in His mouth. Pure and undefiled. He was faithful to the end, brethren. He came to do His Father's will. And He completed His task. Jesus comes as the mighty judge to deliver us. Not from, not from physical oppression and bondage of the Philistines, but from a greater bondage. A bondage to sin and, save, and, and slavery. He delivers us from death. He delivers us from the domain of darkness, from the kingdom of Satan, and He transfers us into His own kingdom, the kingdom of light and glory. And our sins are forgiven, brethren. No more to go back in the old ways. We're new creations. We have the Spirit of God. No more to return. He's done it. He's done it for us. He's come and He's conquered the enemy. Christ came and in His willing sacrifice brought down Satan's kingdom. Brought down Satan's house, so to speak. And has set the captives free. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, His greatest victory came in His death. <laughs> but you know what? What happened to Samson in verse 31 after he died? Brother, he went into the grave. <laughs> he went into the grave. But not so with the Lord Jesus Christ. Death could not contain Him. On the third day, He rose triumphantly. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And He is putting all His enemies underneath His feet until the last enemy to be destroyed is death. They're being put underneath His feet, brethren. 
death could not contain our God. Could not contain Him. Oh, the glories of Jesus Christ. We have a much better judge. (laughs) We have a much greater judge. We have the judge. The Lion of the tribe of Judah has come and conquered. Weep no more. (laughs) Weep no more. Now go out and live for Him. Go out and live for Him. Trust in Him. Submit to Him. Follow after Him. So the Gospel according to Judges is this. From the depths of darkness and despair, God in His grace and mercy is moved with compassion and relentlessly pursues His people to save them through the hand of a conquering Messiah. Delivering us once and for all from sin and bondage through the triumphant Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.